0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and my guest this week is the great Ariel Cohen of uh the atc projections um you should know who he is if, if you've been playing fantasy baseball but uh really appreciate you joining me this week ariel
2: how you doing i'm doing great thank you for the very nice introduction and uh great to chat with you i'll, I'll chat with you in person in just uh literally 24 hours from now yeah
1: i'm really looking forward to it you got out to arizona uh before i did did you you got there today right
2: yeah, I just got here, and nice uh, to do a show from a hotel room at Mesa, Arizona. First pitch. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, man, I I can't wait. Uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer that it, I'm not necessarily even getting a weather upgrade uh, this this time. It usually, they're usually in Wisconsin. It's uh, you know we're in like the 40s or, or at least low 50s, but it's been beautiful here this week, and I know it's supposed to be kind of in the the 60s for. Uh, Most of the time while we're out there, so um, that's kind of weird, but I mean, that's not why I go out there. It's just so fun to to catch up with everyone and just watch baseball in person in November. Um, Can't beat it, so looking forward to getting out there tomorrow, but um, really excited to to chat with you here uh, this evening. And uh, before we kind of get into too much, um, how about you just break down uh, what is ATC, and where can people find it?
2: Yeah, so ATC is my projection system. Um, that uh, I, I, you can find that on Fangraphs. You won't be able to see it now, or what you see now are the projections from preseason 2022. Uh, they will come out in the third week of January for 2023. The best way to understand ATC is it's not a standalone projection. It's a conglomeration of a lot of other projections. And I always think back to um, I do a lot of modeling in hurricanes uh, for my company, Natural Disasters. And if you've ever seen the three and five day cones for hurricanes, where oh goodness, uh, you know the, the here's the dotted line. We think it's going to go here, but here's the bubble where it can go. Well, that that hurricane forecast actually comes from a bunch of different other hurricane models. There's the Clipper model, Florida State model, the Navy's got a model. And one of the algorithms are uh, these uh, these bureaus put together, uh, they take all the different models, but it's not just taking an average of them. They look at different components. Some models model temperature better than others. Some models model uh, wind speed, maybe storm surge. Uh, different components of different models are modeled better than others. They just have a better track record. And so when you take the models and you combine them, you take the best of each, maybe you're taking 40% of one and 10% of one and 2% of any other for wind speed. And maybe for temperature, it's 30, 30, and five, you know, um, and each one gets a different percentage and that's how it's added. It's, it's also the same method that Nate Silver uses when he looks at polling, Right when he wants to say, okay, who's winning in this state? Well, there are better polls for better states. Um, Maybe there's a a poll. uh, Maris does very well in uh, Maryland, but terrible in Jersey, and maybe CNN poll does good in Maine, and you know, and so on and so forth. So you take a higher percentage of the total of the better ones and that's how you pr- project each one and you get a model for each state for nate silver for me for baseball it's very similar in, in the sense that i have a different model for stolen bases different model for homers different model for even playing time different model for pitcher strikeouts intentional walks you name it and so i'm combining based on historical performance right so i i first figure out which models perform better and how to combine it and that's really the whole strength Uh, And then I do that. And once all the projections trickle in, in January, I then combine it and you get a nice aggregated method. And, uh, you know, the best part of ATC is, look, you're never going to get, because it averages projections, you're never going to get an outsized projection. Wow, this guy's going to hit 65 homers. You'll never see that. But what it'll do is it'll steer and give you a very good guess. Here's the good guess that you should have for each player. And it'll help you avoid traps where, you know, wow, this pro- if you look at one projection system it says this guy's really good. But if all the other projections say it's he's not, uh, it'll avoid that trap and it'll help you get more hi- more hits than misses. It's it's the frequency that ATC helps more than the magnitude. Uh, and that's a little bit of a, a gist of what ATC does. And are there any sort of clear like,
1: and I know I know you've written about this uh, in the past, but like is is Steamer better than the others at one thing or is the Bad Axe better than the others at, at one thing? Are there some sort of clear ones that you can kind of rely on uh, as far as that's concerned?
2: Yeah, I mean, all those projections, especially ones on Fangraphs, are excellent. I never really published which one are better for which. It's sort of the secret sauce I have. But uh, I can tell you that the bat does very well for power categories. Uh, steamer does great for, for some of the pitching categories. Um, you know, but it, it's not just good or bad. It's you know, better and worse, right? There's other projection models right. out there that are not on Fangraphs that I use uh, that add a little bit of weight to the, to the equation, and uh, you know, so on and so forth. And I think, correct me if I'm
1: wrong, I feel like I've been at First Pitch Arizona before the day when Steamer comes out um, or or something like that. Is is Steamer going to be the first one uh, this year and is that going to be coming out um, shortly? Do you know?
2: Yeah, so the way that Steamer works, Steamer... Takes historical performance for a player, and it sort of uh, weights it. So it, it event weights it. So you know something that happened a year and a half ago is treated differently as as important than something two and a half years ago, three and a half years ago. So Steamer actually in the middle of the season reprojects information, and it, it incorporates the new you know the new data. So if you're in May of 2022, April data was included in the rest of season Steamer projections. So technically speaking, aside from playing time, which is a different story, the rates at the end of the 2022 year are pretty much final, and Steamer is pretty much ready to go. All Steamer really waits for is the guys over at Fangraph to update the depth charts on what the playing time is, and then it goes. Um, You can actually get Steamer – I don't know if people realize this, but I believe what's in the depth charts – auction calculator currently um it's not up on the player pages because dave appleman didn't set it forth yet because we're still in the middle of we're still in the middle of the world series so you're not going to see he doesn't want to put projections in there but if you actually want to get dollar amounts and see what projections are are worth value wise i think they're actually up there already under depth charts uh in the auction calculator but uh, yeah essentially to answer your question uh, the day after the World Series, I think uh, Appleman will turn him on, and we should be able to get him. So remember, first pitch is late this year, and the baseball season is late this year. I should say, um, you know, the World Series—it's already, you know, November. We usually have a result somewhere by now. Right. Yeah. Usually, that
1: that first sort of welcome speech, Ron Chandler has the you know congratulates the World Series winner. um, and so the fact that it's it's still going on is is definitely uh, an interesting uh, right. wrinkle this year. Uh, but that is, that's good to point out. Um, the Fangraphs auction calculator is a fantastic tool. Um, do you know what the typical schedule is for the uh, other projection systems getting released onto the site?
2: Yeah, I can talk about the ones on Fangraphs. Uh, the, fi- the final one is always going to be Zips. Not because he hasn't done it yet, but Dan Zamborski likes to release them team by team. I think he just wants to get thirty articles out of it. So, mm-hmm. oh, here's the Reds, his Zips projections. He actually has them, um, they, you know. Uh, and I can certainly get my hands on them personally. Uh, but uh, you'll see them later in the year. You'll see them somewhere in February. Uh, steamer, they said, comes out first. The depth charts originally will. N- resemble steamer once zips comes out it'll be the aggregation so you really have to wait until zips is out for that uh the bat comes out somewhere in january and atc will come out pretty much right after that i mean i usually coordinate with Derek carty so as we don't release it on the same day to give him a little bit of breathing room um so his will come out maybe second week of uh january and mine will come out about third week of january remember mine by definition really should come out later in the later as possible because it incorporates other projections so uh it's not that i'm not doing my homework here and i'm getting getting lazy here i literally by definition have to wait for some of the others to trickle in
1: yeah what are you so what what is your sort of schedule for you personally kind of prepping for 2023 um from say the end of the regular season um you know, you haven't released ATC yet. What is sort of, what are you doing kind of whenever you're taking time out of your day uh, to kind of study um, baseball in advance of the upcoming season? Like, what are you doing um, this time of year?
2: So I usually take a little bit of a break from the end of the season just to take some time off, refresh and all that. Um, The first thing I do is, uh, well, before I even get into 2023, I, I sort of dissect 2022. I I take a look at which projections performed best. Uh, maybe I will write some articles on you know by position what was uh, what was a good position uh, value wise. Where should you have put your money at the top for corners and the middle for outfielders? You know, do, usually do some analysis there. But in terms of 2023 planning, uh, I first do what I call the ATC regressions, is where I take th- what happened in 2022 um and i compare it to how the projections projected it and i sort of update my formulas for what weights to put on each projection um if if you know if if anybody's familiar with regression analysis it's not a two second press a button here you go i you know take a look very specifically at each individual um each individual model meaning each individual stat um and I, i so i update it with the new data and then i get new information and then that takes me until about christmas and then i start. Getting my model ready to handle ATC for 2023, uh, and that's what I do in terms of the projections. Of course, you know I'm I'm a fantasy baseball analyst, so you know I'll dive into some interesting players. Maybe I'll see if there were some people who were had a down year, an up year, you know, and try to get some uh, more qualitative information. But yeah, in terms of projections, it's uh, run regressions and then project and i get most of my information done by first week second week of january we publish third week uh and then i'm just analyzing atc and hey where's the value where can where is the market really far from what atc is
1: that's interesting so you're you're definitely a um get all your ducks in a row and then start drafting um in kind of a normal person sort of off-season schedule uh you're not crazy like me and you're <laughs> delving into the, into the traps while the, the playoffs are still going on. Yeah. No. So uh, let's say someone who's listening um, is looking to maybe utilize projections more in their fantasy baseball game than they sort of have in past years. Uh, What are, do you have any sort of kind of projections for beginners type of uh, tips to kind of keep people sort of going down the right path uh, as they try to delve more into utilizing projections?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, I think the, the the first thing is you really have to realize what projections are and, and you know, what they mean, and how to use them. Um, you know, if if you if you go into a room and say, oh, I really, really got to get this guy, I really got to get a second baseman, that's it, not really doing it. Projections give you a baseline of, you know, a mathematical way of showing here's what will happen next year. And you need to understand that un- – even the greatest scouts, even the greatest minds, the best fantasy baseball players, don't always get it right and I don't know that they get it right in the long run, much better than the projections. Now, in some situations for projections, you know if you know that a guy's gonna get more playing time or you know a guy's gonna steal more as manager said so or if you have some soft information, that's something else. But all else being equal, you should always be resigned to starting at least with a base case of projections. And why not use ATC? Because it really incorporates all the projections. Okay. Use that as your base. And, of course, if you think a player should have more homers, you know, you can always tangentially adjust from there. But start with projections. And what I would recommend to everybody is on fangraphs, um, once ATC is released – You'll see what's called the auction calculator. I mentioned it earlier in the pod, but uh, under the projections tab, all the way down, there's a thing called the auction calculator. And what it does is it lets you put in your league settings. So a player's value might be different for different league settings for head to head points. It might be different for a roto. If you incorporate on base percentage instead of batting average, it will be different. Put in your league settings how many teams, how many players, category scoring. And when you compute the auction calculator, it'll give you a dollar amount for what a player's worth. That'll show you the relative value. That'll show you the difference between positions. Oh, look, this guy is a $20 player. He's a second baseman. He's a $20 player. He's a third baseman. All else being equal, you know, you should be indifferent to taking either one because they're the same value. And those values are also position adjusted, right? Catchers. Normally would never be taken if there wasn't a position adjustment, but because there's only a limited number of catchers that are good, it bakes that in and gives you a dollar amount for the catcher because you need to make an adjustment. So it does all the nice things for you, and I would start with those numbers. Um, you know that should lay out your basis. That should also show you the tiers. So if you if you for example are in a draft and you see there's ten shortstops between twenty and twenty five dollars. Um, You don't have to take a shortstop right away, even if it's the top guy available. You might be better off taking a corner if there's only a few corners and a lot of shortstops because you'll be able to get a similar shortstop, right? If you don't get the $25 one go three rounds later and get a $22 one. It's a $3 difference, but the drop in corner might be five, six, seven. So utilize those to look at tiers, to get relative values to see which positions have a lot of a mass, that there's more fungible players, um, and so on and so forth. The, the final thing you should do, and that's a little bit more advanced, but well worth it, is if you download ADP, you can then compare – where what the market thinks to what atc or projections think and that will really tell you the pockets of value that will really tell you who's overvalued why is this player being taken so early projections are much worse well don't buy that player oh my goodness projections say this guy's good why is the market off on him maybe that's a buying opportunity so when you compare it to market that will give you the complete information as to where the value lies oh it there's a lot, there's about four players who are undervalued according to ATC at the $10 range for first base. Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't take a corner up top and I should take that because I think the market is weak on those right And court tying in all that information really is going to help you in the end.
1: Really good advice. Um, I know, you know, for a lot of people that might have all sort of sounded basic, but I, I really think a lot of people, could improve their games by just following a lot of a lot of what you just said. Um, this is something that I've I've been really interested in, uh, and I thought you'd be a great person to ask. Um, do you think the projection systems will be preemptively reacting to these new rules, such as the you know defensive shift and the the size of the bases and, and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, um, I think that some projections will and some projections won't. I think that in general they should. Right? I mean, if if you know that there's going to be a different environment, if you know the run environment is going to be more, you, you should ought to project it there. Uh, I can tell you, for example, the bat for sure will. I know Derek Cardy well, and he's going to be you know using math to and physics to say, oh wow, there's going to be more ba- there's going to be more stolen bases. Oh, if there's no shift, well, you know maybe he's projecting. Um, a pull versus oppo, that will give you a bigger information. The projections that have it component-based are the ones that are going to probably don't have to do much more math if they have already based out component-wise, uh, and it'll show an effect right away. I know Zips, for example, won't. Zips, uh, Dan Zimborski, uh, the Zips model is more of a historical uh, player comparison model. So, you know, it'll take a look and all right, this player at this age did this. What does it compare? What players does it compared to in the past? And what were their following seasons? And there you go. It doesn't really know how to incorporate the new information of, well now adjust for the ball and now adjust for the 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 new rules. Now adjust for pickoffs. It doesn't really know how to do that. And Dan's, Dan's perspective is, is uh, um, well, I don't know what to do, so why make a bad guess, right? I'm just guessing. I don't have any data to back it up, so why do it? After next year, okay, then we'll incorporate it. So you might see him not. I know Derek will. Um, I, have, I I will be talking to a bunch of the other projection guys. So, I, in fact, I'm probably going to do an article. I did this um, a couple years ago when I think uh, the ball shifted or or something like that. Or or the humidor, you know, anytime there's a big factor, I I always try to write an article and poll the the projection artists, let's call them artists, uh, as to uh, what they'll do. So look out for that probably a month from now um, and you'll see what the different perspectives are. So
1: I think we want to, at least I want to react a little uh, to these new rule changes. Um, I don't want to overreact and I feel like I'm generally kind of um, not going to overreact on something like this. Um, but I do think we want to react a little bit. Is is there a type of player that you think the drafting public is going to uh, discount or inflate um, before we see these rule changes in action? Um, I mean, I know that, I guess I don't even know, necessarily what you do with the stolen base factor because that's a decision on the part of the player and like i don't think we're just going to expect everyone to run 15 percent more than they have or something like that Uh, i know a lot of smart people are already talking about maybe uh, discounting ground ball pitchers uh, a little bit um what what's your take on on all that
2: all right so i mean there's a couple things to say first of all i just want to point out that um, th- there's what will happen and then there's how will fantasy players react happen. And I think those are two different things. Yes. There's sh- going to be more stolen bases. Yes. Uh, if there's no shift, that means that people who pull the ball of the ground are going to have more, more hits ground ball pitchers by definition are going to have more, uh, m- more hits allowed. We know that's going to be true. You know, we'll, we'll have to quantify how much and, you know, maybe I'll come up with a good guess for it. But the question is, how will people react to that? And I think that, you know, people playing fantasy baseball, if they know what's going on, they are going to react. The question is, will they overreact? I tend to think people do overreact. Um, I tend to think people will say, wow, well, we got to account for the for, for this change. So let's really let's get this guy. And I don't think that they're going to fully incorporate that. You know, if a, if a player is a $7 player, maybe the change only turns him into an $8 player, but everyone will react and say, let's make them a $12 player. So I kind of think that whatever reactions are going to go on are going to be overly done. Um, so I, I'm hesitant to really do that. But yeah, you know, just, just, just exactly what I said. Those are the types that, that will change. As far as the stolen bases go... I don't, I don't know if that's going to change a lot much because the, the, stolen bases these days are really dependent upon manager's decision, whether a player runs more than that. It's, it's, it's opportunities more than anything. And we know that, that in today's baseball day and age, we don't want to run into outs. So a player has to have roughly a 78% chance or more uh, success rate for them to keep running. Otherwise they're given the red light in general. So um I don't think that environment is going to change all that much uh, based on bigger bases. Um, however, uh, there has been an uptick in the last year and a half in stolen bases. Um, I mean, stone bases have been going down, down, down. But actually, there was an uptick the last year and a half. So I expect that trend to continue a little bit. Um, how much of any trend next year is, is going to be part of the new rules or part of the general uptick? It's hard to say. Um, but I wouldn't go overly nuts in, in trying to actually do it. And in fact, I think the market's going to overdo it. Uh, That's my gut feel. So um, I would say that stone, except for stone bases, I think that people right now overvalue stone bases as it is. Um, So to the extent that they're going to really push more players to, to, to get stone bases, that's, that's gotta be the wrong thing. So uh, I I would say in terms of stone bases, they're going to very overreact. Um, for no reason. In terms of the other stuff, they're going to react and probably a tad too much is my gut feel.
1: Very good. All right. Let's uh, head to a quick message from our sponsors and then I want to ask Ariel about uh, a Twitter thread of his um, from last offseason that really resonated with me about the saves market.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
1: All right, we are back with Ariel Cohen. And Ariel, I remember uh, last off-season, there was just a lot of people really just did not care for how high people were taking closers. And there were a lot of You know, that's that's insane. How could you take a closer in the second round or the third round? Or how could you take this closer over, you know, an established hitter like like this guy? And uh, you had this really great um, thread on Twitter, uh, February 1st, uh, uh, 2022, and you were talking about um, relative pricing. And it just, it really resonated with me and it really sort of, I mean, there was probably some some confirmation bias there because you basically just did a better way of articulating everything that I was sort of already thinking about the saves market. Um, but can you kind of lay that out for the listeners um, in terms of, you know, sort of how relative pricing needs to be factored in with something like
2: saves? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm very glad that you enjoyed the Twitter thread. So thank you for that. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of the save, by the way, um, I think the Twitter thread ended up being right. Uh, the, the, essentially, I said that everybody's paying up for saves. And that means that you should, too, for, for at least one person. And that actually turned out to be the right decision because there was a lot of uncertainty. And the top 10 closers in general didn't have much uncertainty. There was, you know, one or two fails, but as a percentage of, of hits and busts. That was really good. Um, in terms of relative pricing, you know, you can't just say how much is this guy worth. It's it's not a a standalone. Oh, a closer is worth twenty. A closer worth, it's not. It's a market. When you're buying fantasy players in an auction, in a draft, or whatnot, you're buying. Uh, it's an economic closed market. You're buying quantities. You need saves. You know, it's like going to the supermarket. You need oranges. You need, you need uh, uh, apples. You need milk. You need bread. You know, everybody needs milk. You know, everybody needs water. You know, if the price goes up, then you, you do have to pay for water. Right? It, it's an economic environment. It's not just, oh, a player has a value. And to, to, to really understand this, you got to think of the exaggerated cases. And um, this always comes up when people ask me, Ariel, what is the best, what's the most appropriate hitter versus pitcher split? Like, should you spend 70-30, you know, as a percentage of your budget, 70% of your budget, should it be hitters? Should it be 62? Should it be, you know, what is it, Ariel? And my answer is it really doesn't matter. It matters what everybody else is doing. And the exaggerated case is, let's say everybody said, you know what, we're going to spend 90% 90 of our budget on hitting. We're just going to buy hitter, 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 and we're not going to draft a pitcher until the 12th, 13th round. If you said, well, i got to get my ace in the first round, i got to get three pitchers in the first seven rounds, you're going to end up with an average team and, in Roto. And the reason is, well, you're going to knock the pitching out of the park because you're going to absorb the best pitchers, but you're not going to have any hitting. Well, those other guys are going to have much more hitting because they decided to spend 90%. And if you look at the opposite exaggerated case, what if you – only spend, uh, What if you spent 90% on, on uh, the whole league s- spent 90% on pitching? Well, and they didn't buy in hitting. If you bought hitting as per regular, well, you're going to be lacking in the pitching. You're going to do well in one and do poor in the other and end up with a middle team. What you really need to consider is that the pitching prices are against other pitching prices, and the hitter prices are against other hitter prices. It's no exact value. It's what is the relative value compared to the rest. So, in the case of saves last year, saves are being pushed up in February. Um, second round, Liam Hendricks, second round, uh, Hater, second round. We had third round, fourth round. We had closers flying off by the fourth round, something that we've never seen. I mean, I played fantasy baseball 10 years ago. If you pick the closer before the eighth round, you're a moron. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, people are doing it now. And whether you think that's the right thing or not doesn't matter because you're going to get priced out of the market. If you want to finish with a very low save total, you won't spend any money. You have to think of it as it's not about spending the money on the saves, uh, about picking the round. It's getting the better relative bargain. Now, if you think that the second round Hendricks was ridiculous, but maybe there was a fifth round Jordan Romano that was more fairly priced. Than or Iglesias, right? It's just about how the saves, how the players are relative to each other, and and that's really the way to pick it. So, um, I, based on that, my point was, okay, everybody's paying up for saves. There is a, a three round premium that you got to pay to get a closer. You got to pay it, and by the way, everybody's paying it, so you're not losing money. You're just competing. But remember, don't try to to get the best one or or don't play in a tier that you think is ridiculous relative play in something where you can get a little bit of a bargain relative to the other closers. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I mean, I, I think, uh, the way I sort of look at it is, you know, it's, it's never, it's never fun to take a closer in the first five rounds of a draft, right? Like you, you recognize that in the moment, like that's not, an exciting pick to make Um, and you know, it's, it's weird taking someone that might only throw 55 innings over some starting pitcher that could get you 200 innings, but it's, it's less fun to be bottom, you know, two, three in your league in saves all season. And um, I think people should also, I've said this before. I think with saves specifically um, you have to, kind of play to your strengths as a drafter or an auction player. And if you are someone who is routinely sort of finding, you know, that you're always finding like a a Daniel Bard from last year or something late, and you're, you're really good at that. um, You can factor that into your, your strategy. But if, if you're not someone that, that is really good at that, then you you might want to allocate resources to kind of, uh, cover up for for that weak part of your game um what do you think about the 2023 like are, are we just is this current saves market uh or what we saw last year Do you think that's just going to kind of be
2: the norm um until further notice um yes and no i think that you're going to in general get saves a little bit pushed up and that have to do with a lot of teams doing closer with the committee. They're doing saved shares. Well, we know like the Tampa Bay Rays. It's just closer committee. I mean, uh, uh, there's a higher probability of, uh, of the, the ball boy might get two saves. Like, you, you know, it could be anybody on, on the Rays. They just share it, but there's some teams that do a closer share where, okay, he'll get 50% of the saves and two other guys will get the rest of the saves. Um, then there's some situations where, you know, it's high leverage. So, uh, a guy's only pitching high leverage opportunities. He'll get, you know, 25% of the saves, but he's there for high leverage. So there's teams that employ that. So we are going to get less saves um, going to one person on a team, and that really inflates the price of closers that are more uh, lockdown guys. That's 100% true. But remember, last year at February, we had the lockout. So because of that, A, we didn't know of any players who didn't sign yet, where they're going to go. Where is Kenley Jansen going to be? I don't know. Um, So you you dealt with some no information. You also didn't have injury information, nothing. So we didn't know about that. There were some closer battles. We have no idea what's going to come up with that. So there was more uncertainty because of the lockout than usual and no information. So when there's uncertainty, you want to pay more for short prices. That super inflated it into the second round. I don't think that level will continue. And, and it's not warranted because you know, you'll know you have a regular spring training. And by the way, it, it, it saves is different if you're drafting in November versus if you're drafting in mid-March. If you're drafting now, before players have signed, before you know spring training battles, I mean, you sort of have to put a little bit more money down to lock in those guys, when you're in March, you can say, you know what? I'll take a gamble on this. He's doing well in spring training, right? It's very different drafting saves now versus then. Um, the November drafting now is akin to what happened in February then. So uh, that's sort of the answer to the question.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point about the uh, the lockout. I mean, it does not feel like the lockout was less than a year ago, but um, yeah, like, you know, you mentioned Kenley, uh, you also sort of had that Craig Kimbrell situation of, yeah. you know, is he going to be a closer? Um, you right. know, you had, there There was definitely uh, some more uncertainty in the market, especially that time of year than there probably will be this year. So that's, that's a really good point. Um, so, you know, for those of us that play in, you, just your standard sort of five-by-five five Roto, uh, two-catcher leagues, uh, let's say that, it, it makes sense to pay up for at least one good closer. And um, you know let's say it, it makes sense sort of in a vacuum to uh, make sure you've got you know at least one good catcher, maybe two good catchers. Um, and then you know obviously you need some speed uh, to compete in, in stolen bases. Uh, is it possible, do you think, um, and advisable to try to get all three of those things? early in the draft um, or is it, or would you take a different, a different tact with any of those three?
2: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it would be great if you can get every single person you wanted uh, 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 all the time. Of course you can't, you can't get tremendous steals and tremendous saves and tremendous catchers and tremendous power. You know, you can't get all of them. There's a limited number of players and it's all about opportunity costs. Should I, if I pay up for this, I'm not going to be paying up for that. And what you need to do is you really need to take a look at the entire player pool and you need to say what quantities are available at good prices lower down. You know, maybe it's power, maybe it's RBIs. And if that's the case, maybe you can push a little bit more in your value up top on this deal and the saves uh, is pitching more fungible this year maybe so you don't need an ace in the first four rounds and that's what's going to slip out of your first four rounds there's always a, a trade-off there's always an opportunity cost and remember um it, you know it's a, it's an opportunity cost for everybody else there's going to be players that are pushed to the fifth round sixth round that you know maybe one long time ago before we all pitched up saves and and steals and whatnot that you know they would have been top two rounds but because everybody's pushing up different categories now, they fall to rounds four and five. That's going to happen. It's going to happen to a lot of people. The trick really is to you know see what see what's value, see what's scarce, and you do your best to pick the right person at the right time. That really follows. The more you can do to get categories that are spread, the better. Um, the more you can get guys who steal a little bit, who who have power, who do this. I mean, to me, my example, and I'm going to talk about it um, on my podcast the next episode, is uh, like Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman is not a zero in steals. Um, Good power, not the best power, but plenty. Fantastic average. His run production is enormous. He's totally, totally safe. Guy like that should be pushed up tremendously for the safety, right? Why isn't he? um you gotta decide you know what what is more valuable to you is it health is it riskiness and you just gotta you get you can 't get you can 't get everything you want up early you just have to get the best when you can uh at the time that that you get it um but do your homework to know what quantity is available later to know what you need to get more of earlier yeah uh I just took Freddie Freeman
1: with uh my first hmm round pick in my uh, current draft champions at 13th overall uh, was was pumped to, to get him there um, you know, I think he's just a great sort of building block uh, and it does it does sort of seem at least for me in hindsight uh, I regret not um, you know I got I got Austin Riley in some leagues uh, I got Pete Alonso here and there uh, but I did not get enough of the awesome hitters that were not perceived to be uh, stolen base threats early in the drafts so like the like I had zero Aaron judge last year uh, I had zero Freddie Freeman last year right. um, and it seemed like a lot of those types of guys ended up being just absolutely you know great values uh, Paul Goldschmidt You know, maybe you would have thought he would have stolen, you know, eight, 10, 12 bases, something like that. But um, those guys seem to be getting uh, pushed down as people were uh, really desperate for, for speed and saves. Um, I, I didn't uh, have this one in the outline, but I I'm interested in your take on uh, Aaron judge. Um, Like I, I, I put out a set of super early rankings and, really didn't put a ton of thought into the exact order of like the top 10, 12 hitters. I think I put like judge, uh, fifth or sixth. I mean, you're not, you're not really screwing up your draft by wh- whether you take Aaron judge or Juan Soto, like in the middle of the first round, really. Um, but I had a commenter kind of be like, you're, you're crazy for having judge that high. Uh, there's no way he repeats last season. Um, you know, contract year, like that type of stuff. And obviously I was like, well, yeah, I'm not expecting him to repeat last season at all. Um, But when you have such a crazy outlier type of season like that, where just there's no way that you could expect him to to duplicate it. um, Do you think the projections or the public will be kind of, in lockstep on, on where to regress a guy like that. I'm just, I'm interested because I I was sort of like, well, he probably still hits like around 40 homers if he stays healthy. Um, And that is something you can't say about most players in the game. Right. Um, But I didn't necessarily know exactly how far back to regress that uh, in my head. And I feel like that's something that people are going to have to kind of figure out with a, with a player that's coming off just such an incredible year.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that uh, recency bias is a really strong performer. uh, And there's no doubt that judge is going to be overvalued by the markets. In my opinion, Uh, projections are going to react, but projections are more methodical in terms of, well, yeah, they'll count last season as the, the most recent season, but it gets a weight. It's not the be all end all. So I, I don't think you're going to I think that the projections are going to show that Aaron Judge is going to be a bust. There's going to be a few projections that show him as I don't know, God or whatever. But uh, I think in general, you're going to see projections muted uh, on this. I'm very curious to see what ATC is going to say. Um, it, it's funny, last year when I projected Judge, he was one of the safest players with upside, according to ATC. ATC actually has some variability metrics. Uh, I project parameter risk, which is how certain how certain we are of a player's true value. And Judge was like super safe. And because he was super safe, my numbers say you should add a couple dollars to that, right? There's a value in safety. Like the homer totals projected were 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40 by every projection. Oh, what do you think he's going to get? 40, right? Um, how many home runs do you think? If I asked you, James, how many homers is, is Aaron Judge going to get next year? Throw out a number. What do you think? 41. Yeah, I, I would actually come up with something. I'd probably go a little bit higher than that, but we're talking like low 40s, 44, 43. It's hard to project 60 homers for anybody. That would be a bad guess in the long run. Um, so if he was projected for 40 last year, so if you're only going to project 41, 40, he, he shouldn't be projected for as a first rounder, right? I, I think that uh, the things for him are going to be um, do the stone bases continue? That's going to really affect his rotisserie value. Odds are they don't continue as much. That was an outlier season. Are they going to go to zero? Probably not. So he'll probably have more value than projected last year, but it's not going to be at the very top. By the way, uh, ADP has him at number five. uh, as the fifth uh, highest person being taken right now. You got Trey Turner, Julio Rodriguez, Ronald Acuna, Jose Ramirez in early NFBC October drafts. Um, That was his ADP. Um, So the market is showing that he's really a guy to get, and – you know, um, he's done this one year. I think the biggest issue for me with Judge is that he's been – he last year, pe- the, ma- the market didn't pounce on him, and the biggest reason is health. <sighs> he hasn't been that healthy. Last year was his only healthy season in a while. Maybe that's a good sign in the future, but is the health risk really just gone away? I don't know. Plus, where is he going to play next year? Is he going to be at the Yankees' po- short porch? I mean – he, he's, it's definitely not going to go to a better home run environment. The Colorado's not signing him. So it's hard to project more than really what he's been doing for the past couple of years, and to that effect, uh, if I had to guess where he sh- he's going to be projected, I think he'll be projected as a late first rounder, and he'll go as an early first rounder, and then he'll be uh, a- and with risk. I think he'll it'll be too risky for me to pick in the first round, so I probably won't have that many shares, By the way, I had a ton of shares of Judge last year because of the low risk. Any time in general, somebody outperforms, almost always they're overvalued. Can you name me? Can you think of a recent case where a guy outperformed one year ridiculously, and yet he was undervalued the following year? You really can't <laughs> think of. I can't think of it. You know?
1: Yeah, def- uh I'm not going to be able to think of that off the top of my head. But um, no, I mean, I what I what I was sort of trying to sort of say with uh, when I brought up judges, I. I basically wanted to rank him um, like I don't plan on taking judge in the middle of the first round of any draft. Um, and I basically just wanted to put him somewhere where I wasn't going to get any questions about it. And I still got a question about <laughs> about him being uh, too high. And I think a lot of the, I I'm honestly a little surprised that his ADP started off, as high as it did at at fifth overall, uh, because you do have, I think a lot of people that get in these early drafts, you know, sort of they've been around, they know what they're doing. And it's so obvious that he's not going to repeat with that season. And it's just sort of, where do you sort of slot the regressed version of judge? Um, I mean, would you, would you take, like I'll throw out three names for you. Would you take Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, and Juan Soto over him without doing a, a ton of work? I know I know you're, yeah. you're in that phase yet.
2: Kyle Tucker, yes. I think Kyle Tucker is really spread out well according, uh, by the categories. He projected as a first-round player last year. He was great this year. I, I would say yes on him. Juan Soto was one of them? Yep. Juan Soto as well. I think that Juan Soto he had a down year this year. Maybe he was changing teams. I don't know. Um, I mean Juan Soto is you know just a tremendous hitter. Uh, he was projected as a top five guy last year. I, I can't see it, I can't see myself taking Judge before him uh, as well. And Mookie Betts um, that'll be a little bit closer. Um, that'll be a little bit closer. I, Mookie Betts I had m- more late first round last year. I don't think he moved up that much, but Judge might make it to the first round. So I'd probably say I'd take Judge ahead of Mookie Betts, but I would take the other two ahead of of him, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I did come up with a potential answer to your question of uh, a player that had... Did you phrase it as like career year, um, and then yeah. was or or overperformed? Well, uh, any, any any any
2: oh, any big over for poor performance year, and yet in the following year he was even more you know was also undervalued.
1: What do you think about
2: uh, Marcus Semyon from
1: last year? Um, Who I was completely off of because I thought that was definitely a career year and it looked like a really good call to be off of him in the first, you know, six weeks or so uh, still finished with 26 homers, 25 steals.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's funny that, that Marcus Semyon to me, all the years has been the poster child of exactly a uh, good year. Then he regressed the good year regressed. So he was always my example of, well, I, I would always get Marcus Semyon in the 12th round, but now I got to pay fifth round, forget it. Oh, well, he had a bad year. Now I can get him in the eighth round. Now I'm, getting him so uh, uh, he was like my poster child i don't know if he outperformed his market value last year but he certainly was on par so yeah i mean i guess he qualifies somewhat he definitely didn't disappoint right you were you if you picked marcus Semyon at at his draft price last year i think you came up happy uh happy because you made the value so yeah to the extent that that you're not unhappy i guess he qualifies I, there's gonna be a few people like that i'm saying it's the case is usually right. the opposite yeah, yeah. yep you know um,
1: so with the, you know, with, you mentioned this, uh, another quick question that I didn't put in the outline, uh, apologize for that, but, um, it, with the stolen bases, like you kind of mentioned with judge, when there's an outlier, you regress that back. Um, so Marcus Semyon's a, a great example of this stole a career high 25 bases last year, uh, was with a new team. I don't know how much you'd factor that in, um, but had never stolen more than 15 bases in a previous season. Uh, so with with cases like this, are you basically always kind of regressing the projection to... Um, just sort of what it would have been coming into the prior year or, or something close to that with, with a guy like that with the stolen bases.
2: Well, you're going to incorporate the new, the latest year. You know, Any good projection system is going to incorporate the latest year more than others, right? So, oh, well, his new total is going to be bumped up, not all the way to the extent of that one is possible. With stolen bases, it's a little bit tricky because it's not just statistical. Again, it's not about ability. It's the manager giving a green light. He sure as heck got the green light last year. Um, you know, I mean, he was, uh, I don't have handy what, what he was caught, but I know he ran more 20, um,
1: He was 25 for 33.
2: Yeah. So he, he ran more than usual. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't think he had a, a, a terrible rate the previous years. were only at 15. Right. He, he, the point is that, that he ran more and that's a manager's of decision. Um, it's really whether he's going to run or not is the answer. Now what's changing in Texas next year, a new manager. Is he going to run more? Um, probably not as much as this guy. Um, it's, it really depends on manager's philosophy. If I had to bet, I would bet on it being lower. Again, also, he's getting older. He was 31 last year. He'll be 32. Uh, you know, you would definitely bet on age. Obviously, projections factor in age regression that, you know, at a certain point, your stone bases tail and tail fast over 30. Uh, but, yeah, you have the manager decision. To be honest, I would take a look if for you for those me- drafting for those drafting now you're going to make a guess. For those drafting mid-spring training, take a look at what the manager is doing. Is he letting his players run or not? Just look at what he does for the team, not necessarily for the player. See what he does for the team, and if he's running a lot, you can probably put Stemy in a little bit higher. If he's not running, that 25 or stolen bases are going to go back to his career norm of 14 or so. Uh, that's how I would figure Semyon for next year. So let's close by
1: talking about, uh, auction strategy. Um, you know, I, we've all seen, uh, managers leave money on the table in auctions, which obviously is, is very embarrassing. Uh, if you do that, um, we've seen, you know, that there's always that sort of pocket in the auction where every Buy is an overpay, and someone that's stuck with a bunch of money, you know, ends up kind of having to buy a bunch of guys in that range, and that that never works out well. Um, what what are some of your favorite sort of pieces of advice for for people uh, doing auctions?
2: Well, auctions are pretty complicated. They're also pretty fun. I vastly prefer auctions to drafts. And if if you haven't done one, you should definitely try one. You might be hooked. And by the way, for those who think, oh, it takes way too long, it's actually not that much longer. Maybe it's 20%. So if your draft is usually three and a half hours, maybe it's four and a quarter hours. Like It's not all that much more, and it's, it's well worth it. It's time worth spent. Um, there's a lot of different components. I mean, first of all, uh, what you need to do in an auction is know that you you don't have to panic at any time. Just because players are being flying off the board doesn't mean anything. Um, the biggest piece of advice I can tell you is that if you calculate an auction value for everybody and use an auction calculator that will give you a calculation, um, you most auctions are set up that you have $260 of auction money to spend on players. If according to your notes, you have bought $260 and according to your projections, you have bought $260 of, of worth of value. You have failed, and I say this because you will have an average team, right? If you spend $18 on an $18 player and $12 on a $12 player and $40 on a $40 player, you'll end up with $260 for $260. That's just an average team. To be a good team, you want to have $290 on your paper by only spending 260 if you want to have a fantastic team you need 320 so in general you have to buy players at a lower value than than what they're worth if they say 30 you really need to buy for 27 for 28 if a player is worth 10 you want to pay three and it's a lot of practice by doing a bunch of these to know at what the price points are if if you know for very hot auctions if auction if if there's 30 dollar players and they're all going for 40 40 oh my god just sit back don't worry that you haven't bought a player in 30 the last 30 it's it's a zero sum game you're going to end up buying tremendous bargains in the middle if players are going just a dollar or two over do that beat that a dollar or two over you'll make up that value on the bottom when Players have different valuations for $5 players, right? They might not be on, You might have a $5 player on your board. It might be zero for somebody else. You might be able to buy them for a dollar. You'll recoup value later. So if prices aren't ridiculously hot, you pounce early. If prices are very hot, then sit back. It's be reactive to what the room is. <clears throat> Take practice. But overall, get in your head that you need to eventually, for the team total, walk away with more money. And the question is where to do it. Um, it takes practice, but sometimes it's the middle, sometimes it's the top middle, sometimes it's the bottom, bottom. Uh, It's hard to give you a one word answer as to what happens. But in general, I will tell you though, that um, for shallower leagues, you're probably better off spending more money up top for deeper leagues. You're probably not worth spending money up top and the values will come somewhere more in the middle. That's the general piece of advice that, that, that I would tell you happens, but it's practice, really, um, and it's a lot of fun. So, so try it if you haven't. Do you have any uh, nomination
1: um, strategies in terms of which types of players you're throwing out, um, say early, or you know, kind of kind of early in, a, in an auction?
2: Yeah, the general rule is every nomination should have a purpose, and you should have a reason for doing it. A lot of people say, oh, just throw out high-priced guys I don't want to buy. That doesn't actually do anything for you. It doesn't do much. Um, You're better spent by getting information. Oh, you know what? I think that this guy up on top, I think Juan Soto is going to be a big bargain. Oh, maybe it's Mike Trout. Well, if you think you can get a big bargain and it might help you save money later, you need to know whether you're going to actually acquire him. Don't say, I'll wait. We'll see what happens. No, nominate them first. Get the information as to what you have. Um, I can also tell you that sometimes, you know, if, if, there's, a, if there's five players in a tier that's all very similar, people will always gravitate to the top guy. Oh, let's get this guy. You don't have to throw out a nomination for the first guy. You might be good getting the fourth guy. And if you throw the fourth guy out before any of the other names come up, you might get a nice discount. I know a couple, it was last year, two years ago, uh, two years ago, Tim Anderson. Um, there was Bichette, there was Simeon, there was Correa. There was a whole mess of the middle infielders, but I liked Tim Anderson there, and he was number, I don't know, six in the pile. I threw him out before any of the $30 guys came, and I wanted Tim Anderson for 20 I got him for like 16 because I threw him out early. Well, if everyone's thinking, wait a minute, well, I have to bid on Tim Anderson now. I'll go get Peshed. I'll get this guy. Forget about it. And they just didn't realize the value. And by the way, what happens when I get Tim Anderson? It's supply and demand. There's one less supply, right? There's now one less middle infielder. That means the price of everybody else goes up. There's more demand. Every price still goes up. And yet I've acquired my guy already. So I've artificially inflated the room because I've nominated stuff out of order. Very, very good suggestion to do. I also have uh, advice on you shouldn't wait. You shouldn't – there there are guys low down who look like they're going to be big mar- bargains. Like if you compare what the market's doing to your numbers, you say, wow. Um, two years ago, Joey Votto, all my sheets said he's like a $10 player. But markets were playing, paying like two, two bucks, three bucks for him. And I said, you know, I really don't want Joey Votto. I wanted a guy up, up top. But I don't want to – how can I have somebody else get – Joey Votto for two. I threw him out really early, not like the second nomination, but like the seventh nomination, well before he should go. And my theory was that okay, I'm if I throw him out, Joey Votto, two dollars. If I get him for two, great, uh, awesome. But when you throw him out for two early, it goes to three, goes to four, goes to five, maybe even six. Okay, so now that person got Joey Votto, but it wasn't an eight dollar bargain. It's only a four dollar bargain. I've collapsed the return on investment for low down players, so it's sometimes good to nominate out of order because you can collapse return on investments, very good return on investments later on. Which you know, a lot of people make, a lot of people who pay up high they make the big bucks at the end because they scoop up these bargains. Well, collapse some of them. Um, sometimes the other, and I'll finish by saying that you also want to make sure your money is somewhat even with the rest of the room. Like, if you've spent on a lot of players early on, you need to slow down a little bit. So then throw out a player who you don't want. Get money off the board. Because you want to be – you want to have purchasing power that is – even or as best you can even with the rest of the room you want to at every point of the draft be able to be in on anyone i know some people who they buy a 40 dollar player four dollar player for the player and then they're sitting the whole draft well they're missing out on any of the guys in the middle that just physically can't bid on it because they don't have the budget but there could be really good bargains there you want to be physically able to bid on and able to incorporate your roster anybody at any price point so make sure that throughout the draft you're not going too fast or too slow. So if your nominations help with that to get money off the board, sure. If you're very low and you need players and you have too much money, nominate guys that you want, because you want to have power. You want a purchasing power, very similar to everybody else. That's another general tenant. So I hope that helps with some, uh, some tips on auction for everybody. That was really
1: good stuff. Ariel, Uh, really appreciate you uh, breaking all that down. Um, Why don't you let people know about uh, the podcast you got going on uh, tomorrow night?
2: Yeah. For for those who are uh, live here in Mesa, Arizona at first pitch uh, presented by Baseball HQ, I'm going to have a live podcast. Uh, My podcast is the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs uh, and we'll be doing a live show. It's our second year in a row doing a live show. So please come on down uh, 945 Mountain Time over here for those who are not as fortunate to be down here. A week later, we'll uh, we'll dub that and we'll uh, put it out on our podcast feed. So you can definitely take a, a, look, a look at that.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, really appreciate you joining me. Uh, everyone, you can follow Ariel on Twitter at ATCNY. And I will see you uh, in person here
2: uh, tomorrow. Yeah, looking forward to that, James. Thank- thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: Thanks so much for joining me. I'll be back uh, with another guest next week.